The Secret Church Podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For The Secret Church 6 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC6. This is Secret Church 6, Episode 8. Last picture of the cross. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. It is finished. One word in the gospel text to tell us die. It is finished. Here's the question. Jesus had died. He hadn't even risen from the grave. Was it really finished? Absolutely it was finished. And we'll see the significance, particularly on Sunday, here at Brook Hills and resurrection. The key theme here is redemption. 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 Jesus paid our debt. When Jesus shouted, it is finished, he was declaring that he had paid the full penalty for sin. No debt, no penalty left to be paid. The payment for sin was fully rendered. I love what Anselm said. He said, the debt was so great that while man alone owed it, only God could pay it. So what do we mean when we talk about redemption? What does that word mean? You got sacrifice, propitiation, reconciliation, redemption. What does this word mean? It means Jesus paid our debt. Because of our sin, we live in a state of bondage. Because of our sin, we live in a state of bondage. We are slaves to sin. We are slaves to ourselves. Slaves to sin, slaves to ourselves, to the sinful nature, to the flesh. We are slaves to Satan. We have to be careful here. We'll talk about this, not to go that whole ransom theory to where Satan is able to make demands of God. But the reality is we're blinded by Satan, following the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, slaves to the law, held prisoners by the law, Paul says in Galatians 3, and slaves to death. All those whose lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So we were in a state of bondage in our sin. Because of the price that our substitute has paid, we are liberated from bondage to live in freedom. From slavery to freedom. From bondage to liberty. This is what Mark 10, 45 is all about. It's about the fact that we are slaves and we need a Savior. A divine rescue is necessary. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Same word that's used in 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6. A ransom for many. This is a great, great word here. Lutron, ransom. Then you take, you take intro Greek class. The first word you learn is luo, to loose, to loosen something. And this is the picture, to set free, to unbind. This is what the cross is about. It's about being loosed. It's about being set free. Because of the cross, we are free from sin. Anyone who has died has been free from sin. You have been set free from sin. We are free from ourselves. Christ has conquered the flesh, sinful nature. We are free from Satan. Again, not in the sense the picture is when the ransom price paid, it's not a price paid to Satan as if Satan was making demands of God. This is where the, the imagery here just breaks down some. So don't go there. But the reality is in salvation, we are set free from slavery to spiritual forces of evil. For, set free from Satan, we are free from the law. Even here we have to be careful. Because when we talk about being free from the law, it doesn't mean 
We're talking about being free from the curse of the law. The law is, the law is holy, righteous, and good, Romans chapter 7. And especially when it comes to the law of Christ, we're free for the first time to obey the law of Christ. That's what had been prophesied in Jeremiah 31. And Hebrews 10 says it's been fulfilled. So we're free from the law in the sense of the curse of the law. We're free from death. Ladies and gentlemen, death is a defeated enemy, and we do not fear it anymore. Free from death. Now, in order to see this picture in the cross, we got to get the setup of redemptive history. Old Testament, redemption anticipated. Isaiah 43, fear not, I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. We've got all kinds of patterns in the Old Testament. Men, men paid a price in order to buy property. You see, I'm just going to give you some pictures of redemption in the Old Testament. To buy property, to free a relative. You could free a relative from some sort of bondage that they were in by paying a redemption price. To free a slave, you could free a slave by paying a redemption price. You could free exiles. This was the picture of God freeing his people from exile. Notice in all of these cases of redemption, there was a decisive, there was a costly price that was paid. So redemption involves paying a price. Redeeming is paying a price. God paid a price in order to deliver his people from slavery in Egypt. When he talks about bringing them out of slavery, which we looked at in the Passover, Exodus 6 talks about how God redeemed them with an outstretched arm. He paid a price to deliver his people, free his people from Babylonian captivity, to rescue his people from the consequences of their sin. And the, the dominant image we have of God in the Old Testament when it comes to redemption, God as Redeemer, is, it's really his power and his grace wrapped up together here in this picture. God demonstrates his power as Redeemer. You look at these verses. Go through and look at 2 Samuel 7, Psalm 77, and so on. And you will see God displaying his power in redeeming his people. It's about God splitting the Red Sea in Exodus 14, redeeming his people. And they will know that I am the Lord when I show my power in this way. And then God's people illustrate his grace as the ones who are redeemed. So you got power and grace in this picture of redemption. God has power to redeem and grace that causes him to redeem. Two Old Testament stories two Old Testament stories run through. For those of you who have done, have looking at Secret Church's date night tonight, these two stories are for you, okay? This is the romantic part of our evening together. So uh, cuddle up next to the person next to you, only if you're on a, like, that kind of, yeah, anyway. So um, two stories, Old Testament. Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. This is Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. Moabites hated by Israelites. Ruth is brought to Israel after her husband dies. She is a barren woman for 10 years, has not had a child, no heir to carry on her husband's line. She's barren, an outcast in the land of Israel, Bethlehem. So what happens is in Ruth chapter 2, she goes and just happens to find herself working in the field of Boaz. And Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. You go back to Leviticus chapter 25 and you see the provision that God has made for someone. If something happens like this kind of situation, that someone who is close, a kinsman redeemer, can buy that, purchase that person, pay a redemption price to bring that person into his family. And so she finds herself in Boaz's field. And here's the portrait we have of a kinsman redeemer. This is where it gets romantic. What does he do? Well, first, he seeks the outcast as his family. 
He seeks the outcast. Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Boaz is taking initiative here. He's using a term of endearment, assuring her that she can stay in his field. He saves the outcast from harm. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even as she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. Women in Boaz and Ruth's position were often insulted or treated harshly in that kind of condition. And Boaz is making sure that's not happening to Ruth. And finally, he serves the outcast at his table. She gives him, he gives her the right to take water with his men whenever she needs it. And then she gets invited to the meal table. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. Now it's getting real romantic. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. So this is the picture. Boaz inviting her to his table. Then we get to chapter 3 in Ruth, and we find that there's someone who is closer in line, kinsman line, to Ruth's family. And as a result, Boaz is going to go need to have a conversation with this dude. And so that's what happens in chapter 4. And you get to this price of a kinsman redeemer. And basically, in order, to, in order to redeem someone, you have to have a few different things. Number one, you've got to have the right to redeem. And that's why Boaz had to address this, uh, this other, other person. Second, he must have the resources to redeem. You've got to have a price to pay to purchase the forfeited inheritance. And then you've got to have a resolve to redeem. And that's exactly, exactly what we see in Boaz. And this is the picture in the Old Testament of a kinsman redeemer paying the price to bring this woman into his line. And the whole picture in Romans chapter, uh, in Ruth chapter four gives us a picture of how, of how this would all lead to, to Christ um, in, the, in the end, Matthew chapter one. That's first picture. Second, Hosea, the faithful husband. We'll run through this real quick. Hosea, this story is told on two lines. It's an individual story and a national story. A faithful husband. God tells Hosea, go and marry Gomer. Now, there's two problems with that. Number one, her name is Gomer, okay? That's problem number one, all right? David, go and marry Heather. Ah, yes. David, go and marry Gomer. Hmm. Okay, so we got, we got Gomer. And the second problem is Gomer was a prostitute. We don't know if Gomer was a prostitute before, after, for sure. There's some debate among scholars on that. But the reality is the picture that's being set up here is a picture of an unfaithful wife. And that's what God's people are displayed as, an unfaithful bride. And as the story is told, what we see is two elements. The story of an unfaithful people. Rebuke your mother. Rebuke her. She is not my wife and I am not her husband. We're going to fly through this. She was adulterous. She, the Bible talks about sin in terms of spiritual adultery. When you and I go and find our satisfaction from the stuff of this world instead of the greatness of our God, then we are, we are committing spiritual adultery. This is the seriousness of sin. Adulterous, idolatrous, worshiping the Canaanite rain god, Baal. Hypocritical because she was still participating in religious feasts, Israel was. This is a picture, individual story, Hosea and Gomer, that's representing the national story. Hypocritical, and she was forgetful. I will punish her, 
This is for the climax here, Hosea 2.13. I will punish her for the day she burned incense to the bales. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but me she forgot, declares the Lord. Now look up here after you, after you read Hosea 2.13. Look up here. Don't look back down yet. Okay. Everybody looking here. The indictment here is God says about his people, adulterous, idolatrous, hypocritical, and forgetful, turned back on me completely. And I'll go and let you know, don't look down, but the very next word, Hosea chapter 2, verse 14, the very next word is therefore. I want you to think about what's about to come. My bride has been adulterous, idolatrous, hypocritical, and she has turned back and willfully forgot me, run after other men instead of me. This is God talking about his people. Therefore, what do we expect? In light of all we've seen, therefore, judgment, therefore, wrath, therefore, judgment. Instead, Hosea chapter 2, verse 14, some of the most beautiful words in all the Old Testament. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. Wow. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. Unfaithful people and a story of an unreasonable God. He says, I will allure her. The word is intentionally romantic. It's a word that we would use to describe how a middle schooler wants a girl to look at him. This is a picture of God saying, I'm going to allure her to myself. I will lead her. I will speak tenderly to her. I will give to her. I will restore her. You will not just call me Lord. You will call me husband. I will protect her, betroth her, respond to her, and I will establish her. And then you get to one of the most beautiful chapters in Old Testament, Hosea chapter 3, I will pay the price for her. When God says to Hosea, you go, you go and pay the price to bring Gomer back to yourself. You go pay a slave's price to bring her back to yourself. So that's the Old Testament, redemption anticipated. New Testament, redemption achieved. Here's the deal. Christ is our redeemer. Christ is our redeemer. He's the one that pays the price. His payment was celebrated. You see Zechariah here, the prophetess Anna, the picture of when Christ came on the scene. This is the redemption of God, what we have waited for. His payment was costly. The word that is used over and over again in the New Testament to describe the payment of Christ is not he gave his life, he gave himself, but he gave his blood. Blood is the price that was paid. His payment was costly and his payment was complete. Jesus doesn't have to keep making payments. Payment is complete. It is paid for. Christ is our redeemer and Christ is our victor. Yes, he is the conqueror. It is victory promised. Genesis chapter 3, the very beginning, entrance of sin into the world. God said, I'm going to send one devil who is going to crush your head. Victory promised at the very beginning. Victory begun. Victory begun, Matthew chapter 12. As Jesus comes on the scene, we see his power over demons. We see his power over nature, his authority over all things. Victory accomplished. Listen to this, Colossians 2. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us. Listen to this. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Check this out. Sinful people are forgiven at the cross, and spiritual powers are overthrown. 
sinful people forgiven, spiritual powers overthrown. Christ has disarmed them. He has embarrassed them. He has defeated them. Sinful people forgiven, spiritual powers overthrown, and spiritual powers defeated. He has defeated them. Our Redeemer, Christ, owns us forever. Victory accomplished, victory announced. This is where the resurrection comes in. The resurrection is the stamp, the vindication. Yes, the payment is complete. We'll dive into that on Sunday here, but the picture is Jesus on the cross saying, it is finished. And what he means is, it is finished. It's finished. The price has been paid. The debt has been covered. Completely covered. And the resurrection is God's announcement that yes, yes, the payment has been made. You have nothing to pay. Don't work. You have nothing to pay. Victory awaited. Victory awaited. This is not to say that redemption is complete. We're not home yet. We're not home yet. But it's guaranteed we're going home. And the redemption of our bodies is going to happen. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources at Radical.net.